in the U.S., if you're driving a truck, you're 10 times more likely to die on the job than the average American. Creating an autonomous driving system is a hugely challenging task. Can we make it safe enough? At this point, I'm certain on that. It's all very well having this exciting technology, but, but what's really important is industrializing it and making it safe. I have more conviction now than I've ever had on this is going to happen and it's going to be huge. Hello and welcome to season two of Invest in Progress, brought to you by Scottish Mortgage. I'm Claire Shaw, an investment specialist in the team. In this podcast, we take you behind the scenes to hear the conversations that take place between the Scottish mortgage managers and the leaders of some of the world's most exceptional growth companies. As we are a UK investment trust, we can only market Scottish mortgage to certain audiences and in certain jurisdictions. Check out the podcast description to ensure this content is suitable for you. And as with any investment, your capital is at risk. Wherever you're listening from, look around you. And the chances are that the majority of the objects and products you see will have at one point been transported by truck. At all hours of the day and night, drivers take to the roads delivering goods to supermarkets and shops, materials and equipment to construction sites, and healthcare products to hospitals. Without the trucking industry, life as we know it would literally grind to a halt. Yet this is an industry with numerous pain points. There are significant driver shortages, high fuel and insurance costs, and restrictions on how many hours you can drive. In short, it is an industry ripe for disruption. So three bright minds from Google, Tesla, and Uber realized this and came together to form Aurora, the autonomous trucking company, and the focus of today's episode. And today we welcome CEO and co-founder Chris Armson. He is a respected thought leader in this space and has been referred to by some in the industry as the Henry Ford of autonomous vehicles. But before we welcome Chris, I'm joined by a portfolio manager, Tom Slater, who can tell us more. Hi, Tom. Hi. So Scottish Mortgage has for a long time had an interest in the automotive industry. And primarily it's because we think it's an industry poised for radical transformation on a massive scale. And I think when we we talk about this and we look across the industry, we see these three like seismic shifts happening at the same time. The shift from traditional engines to electric, the switch from owning your own car to ride sharing, and then the transition from human operated vehicles to autonomous vehicles or self-driving ones. And of the three, I think that transition to autonomous vehicles might be the most revolutionary. Would do you agree with that statement? Yeah, absolutely. I think if that happens, it will have really profound um, impacts. Um, you know, it promises to significantly reduce the the cost of transportation, um, massively improve um, road safety, save save lives, um, and and I think it will affect every every industry that is dependent on transport. And Aurora, who we have coming on, have have an interesting setup. So a lot of other companies focused on autonomy are focused on building the vehicle. But Aurora are focused on just building the driver. They're just focused on the, the software. Um, how do you think that's a benefit for the company and being set up in, in that way? Well, I think they have a singular focus. I mean, creating an autonomous driving system is a hugely challenging task. Um, and so having that focus but also understanding what you're not good at and, and actually the skill 
of bringing the industry along with you, with partnering um, with with companies that have that expertise to 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 turn this vision into a reality, is is one of their superpowers. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm actually really looking forward to this one. I'm interested to hear what Chris has to say. So let's just go over to it now. So I'll hand over to yourself and Chris. Hi, Chris. Great to see you. Thanks so much for doing this. Hey, Tom. Awesome to see you. Thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's been a while since we were sat out in the, the Utah sunshine in, in July. It's not quite as auspicious surroundings, but um, nevertheless, fun to, fun to be here. No, it, it, it's awesome to see you again. Always great to chat. So we, we start by asking all our guests the, the same opening question. So what, what is Aurora and what is the problem that you're trying to solve? Yeah, so, so at Aurora, we're a company on the mission to deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly. And we're building a driver. And that driver can go out and move vehicles on the road safely, helping people get where they need to go more efficiently, uh, doing that in a way that improves safety on the world's roads. And, you know, we think it's an incredible opportunity to help, you know, bring all of these incredible advancements in artificial intelligence and sensor technology and whatever to bear on such a fundamental problem for, for people. And and it's a problem that you've been working on for, for a long time, I think reaching right back to when you were studying at Carnegie Mellon. So could you just talk us through that journey and, and how you managed to to keep conviction, if you like, that you'd get to, to the end point over, over all that time? Yeah, yeah. For me, it started because I thought it was cool. Right. I had been working on a, a robot that, that moved basically at 30 centimeters a second. So if you imagine a person with a walker, that's about how fast they moved. And the Defense Department had this competition to have vehicles drive from Los Angeles to Las Vegas. And the idea was you're driving 50 miles an hour across the desert. And as a young, uh, well, actually at that point, a relatively old graduate student, but as a young person, uh, I was like, that sounds awesome. Let's go do that. And at the time... It was really about getting young men and women out of harm's way in the military. That in Iraq, the U.S. lost more people on the supply line than they did on the front line. And so if we could help there, it would be meaningful. And then that morphed into a series of challenges that, you know, eventually we were driving on roads and had to be on our side of the road, not just on the road. And there I started to work with General Motors and really began to appreciate the impact that this could have for, for everyday people, not just for folks in the military. And then over the last, you know, uh, well, I guess it's been 20 years or so I've been working on it now, it, you know, the, the opportunity to work on something that has a profound impact, that if you look around the room you're in or, or I'm in, there's nothing here that didn't move on a truck at some point. That's just fundamental to our, our existence in society today. And so working on something where I've got a chance to work with amazing people, where the technology is fascinating and interesting and where the problem is so important, uh, you know, that that kind of trifecta has kind of kept me motivated over the years. From Carnegie Mellon, you then went to to Google. Um, tell us about your time there and, and was it difficult to leave? It was amazing, right? So after Carnegie Mellon, after these challenges, uh, Larry and Sergey had this idea of investing in automated vehicles. And so they recruited me to come help found what's now Waymo. And I had the privilege of leading that, I think, for seven and a half years. And uh, Google is just, it was an awesome company to work for. I worked with amazing people. We had an opportunity to do incredible things. And, and honestly, I don't think the automated vehicle industry, such that it is today, 
would exist without their their foresight investment. Um, it was difficult to leave, but I loved the people, I loved the technology, and I was incredibly grateful for what they, you know, the chance they gave me to work on it there. Uh, but ultimately, it was time to go kind of figure out what was next. And that next was was Aurora. And, you know, if I look at some of the leadership team and, and this, the people that, that joined you in the early days on on that mission, you, you had Sterling Anderson, who led the team that, that launched Tesla's autopilot, um, and Drew Bagnell, who'd worked on the Uber self-driving team. So a, a really impressive and, and quite diverse set of resumes. So how did the three of you come together to, to form Aurora? Yeah, it, it's a small community, at least certainly it was at the time. Uh, Drew and I had known each other since graduate school. You know, he was one of the world's, is one of the world's leading experts in machine learning applied to robotics. Sterling was at MIT a little bit later than, than we started. And I'd followed some of his work as a graduate student. And, you know, we talked to him about potentially joining us at, at, at Google. And he ended up going to McKinsey. You know, everyone makes mistakes. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then went to Tesla. And again, we'd kind of stayed in touch over the years. You know, we, we together thought there was a real opportunity to build something special in the space. And so, you know, I feel incredibly privileged to have a chance to build company with the two of them. And you know, they're still fully committed. We're all here together and, you know, kind of making it work. We've seen lots of interesting um, technology development, lots of effort that's gone into what I would think of as the first wave of deploying this technology uh, and, and making it real. And we thought, okay, how do we, how do we take the wisdom from that and build the right company? We knew that this was a hard problem. But it's also really hard to make vehicles, and it's really hard to build Uber or build FedEx. And so, you know, let's be a one-miracle startup instead of trying to be a three-miracle startup, right? And, and let's, that, that led us down to focus on what we can do best and go and work with amazing companies that share our vision. And so that, that philosophy of partnership has been baked in from the beginning and has led to, you know, what I think are some really strong and, and certainly industry-leading partnerships in the space. So these these partnerships that that you have with with the likes of of Packer or FedEx, you know, why why are they so important for cracking this industry and and how did they come about? Yeah, uh, and and this comes back to this uh, this kind of philosophy we have of you know be confident in our ability, but also be humble enough to understand that other people know what they're doing, right? And and my mental model is if you're a company you've been around for eighty years, a hundred years. You've got really good at what that, you know, of doing that. And so for me to come in and say, you know, hey, um, I'm a software robot guy from Silicon Valley and I'm going to figure out how to build trucks better than you, that seems egotistical. So, so let's go find great partners who share the vision, who see the opportunity to transform logistics uh, and, and make it safer, better, more convenient for everyone. And so um, we reached out to companies. Right, so we 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 reached out to Packard, we reached out to Volvo, we engaged with them at their at the team level and at the you know the very top of the companies and talked to them about our vision. You know what was exciting was they shared that vision and the and saw the opportunity. And then today we work with these companies day in and day out. Our engineering teams are you know in constant sync where they're working to build what you think of as the truck, so that it's capable of talking to the Aurora driver and we're building the driver in a way that's capable of talking to those trucks. 
And then, and then when we talk to companies like the, the FedEx and the Hirschbox and the Schneiders and the Warners of the world, there, these are the customers that use the truck and the driver to do something useful. And so, again, as we talk to them about the, the benefit of how we see this helping their top line and their bottom line of their business, we've been building pilot programs with them so that they can experience the new technology, build trust in it, understand how it can impact their business, so that ultimately they'll be excited and confident to run this and incorporate it into their operations. And the software itself, I mean, could you could you give a, a non-technical explanation of of how it is that you you do this really quite amazing uh, amazing yeah. thing? Oh yeah, I, I'm happy to geek out on this for as long as you want. <laughs> um, we use a combination of different types of sensors. Uh, to see the world around the vehicle. And that, that's really where it starts with. So um, we use camera, we use radar, we use LIDAR, and we use our proprietary first light LIDAR, which is this special form of LIDAR that can see farther and also see how fast things are moving. All of that information um, allows us to build a model of what's happening around the vehicle in the moment, like where the cars are, where the road is. We then take that model and we have what we call a motion planning system uh, which is figuring out, given what we're trying to get, how should the vehicle move over the next few moments? And, and it's also one of the really interesting things is thinking about, okay, if I move in this way, that's going to influence the behavior of the other drivers on the road or the other you know, people on the road uh, in how they react. And so it incorporates that into its plan as it's, you know, and you think about this when you're merging, for example. If I go a little bit faster, you slot in behind me. If I go a little bit slower, you slot in front of me. So it's important for it to understand that dynamic and, and that interaction part of, of how its behavior influences others. Once it figures out the kind of the optimal thing to do, uh, then it hands that off to a little computer that then controls the brake and the throttle and the steering wheel. And then, you know, we repeat that, um, you know, many times a second for the thing to drive down the road. I, I suppose the first point to make is it's staggering when you realize just how big an industry trucking is. I think something like $800 billion industry. Why did you focus on oh, trucks? Yeah, and it's important to know that that $800 billion is just the U.S. market, yep. right? If you look globally, it's you know somewhere between three and five times that. Um, so why trucks? So... We have this mission to deliver the benefits of self-driving technology safely, quickly, and broadly. Uh, and so as we think about how do we make that happen, well, we need to have a business because we need to be self-sustaining, of course. You know, you're an investor. You'd like us to make some money. That would be great. Uh, and as we looked at the confluence of the technology and the business models, it was clear that trucking was the right place, right? The market is gigantic. If you compare it to ride-hailing, you know, I think that's somewhere in a $65 billion market, whereas truck in the U.S., $800 billion. So it's 10 times bigger market. If you think about the unit economics, we value the movement of goods more than we value the movement of people in terms of how much we pay for the driver. And so it's about the unit economics about three times bigger, right? Um, if you think about the, the emotional, you know, the decision maker, if I'm riding in a taxi or an Uber, uh, you know, and the driver goes down the, you know, a different route than I would if I get frustrated. If the driver doesn't make the turn that I would, I get frustrated. Uh, in contrast, if I'm a shipper and I'm shipping toilet paper between Dallas and Houston, if it gets there safely and it gets there on time 
and it's at a reasonable cost, I'm happy, right? And yep. and so that confluence of, you know, uh, that, that that's the business argument. And then if we look at the the technology, we thought with the investments we've made and and particularly our first light lidar technology, we had a unique technical advantage. Uh, and then the ability to kind of scale this business because the freeways looked much more self-similar than, say, urban driving uh, made us have even more conviction that this was not just the right market to enter, but the right combination of market and technology. And then we could use the the the, the business we build in that market to drive down the the cost of delivering the product and that would then allow us to go and, and compete in and, and serve customers in, in other markets as well. And I think there's an interesting sort of cultural aspect at, at play here. You know, the, the trucker is like one of America's sort of folk heroes, a sort of solitary entrepreneur that braves the weather, fatigue to, to get their deliveries to their destination yeah. on time. So how has that trucking industry, industry responded to your business? Is, is there sort of re resentment among truckers that feel their jobs may be at risk? I, I think I think first it's super important to what you said. Like it's it's not just kind of folk hero status. These are this is like a noble profession. Right. Yep. All of us rely on goods getting where it, it needs to go. And today that's all done by by people driving trucks. And so uh, my hat is off to them because it is a really difficult and dangerous job that, you know, the, the many of these drivers are on the road for days or weeks at a time, which means they don't see their family. That in the U.S., if you're a driver truck, you're 10 times more likely to die on the job than the average American, right? You have a bunch of, you know, health challenges that come with the fact that you're stuck in a truck, sat there most of the day behind the wheel. Uh, and so it's noble, but it's really difficult. As we talk with the the companies and we talk with truckers, of course you have a you know it's something new and so you have a spectrum of responses. You know what I can tell you is that that we employ a number of truck drivers, uh, and they are excited about the opportunity to take logistics and advance it. Right, the opportunity to see safer roads, the opportunity to create new job types for folks that are interested in logistics, uh, and can then play a new interesting role in that. And so, so yes, we, we have folks who have concerns, of course, and that's yeah. rational, um, but we all see an immense amount of enthusiasm for the opportunity here as well. And I guess thinking of another stakeholder, stakeholder you know, the, the end consumer, how, how do they benefit from Aurora's technology versus that conventional truck and, and driver yeah. combination? Yeah, so if, again, if you think about the constraints that are in freight today, uh, as an operator, um, you're only allowed to drive a truck for 11 hours a day. And so a trip between Houston and LA, let's say, yeah. is about 24 hours of driving time, which means that it's three days of travel. In contrast, if the Aurora driver is operating that trip, because it doesn't need, it's not limited by those 11 hours of service a day, it can do that in a day. And so as an individual, as a, as a consumer, um, you're going to have better reach to to goods. Yeah. Uh, you're going to if you're a if you're a small farmer, your you know your your berries, your fresh fruit, you're going to be able to serve a larger market, which is going to allow you to be more you know be more selective about where you sell, allow you to be more successful, more competitive. Um, when you're driving on the road, in the U.S., there's over a half million tr uh, collisions a year that involve trucks. Uh, and so, if we can make that incrementally safer, 
then we all benefit from that. And then as this technology rolls out more broadly to light vehicles, you know, the whole eco, uh, the whole transportation ecosystem will get safer as well. And do, do you think the, you know, if you, if you think about the future of the, the trucking industry, you know, it's, it's been going through a challenging time in, in recent months, but it, is, is the, the, the growth in trucking, does that, is it e-commerce and next day delivery or are there other factors at, at play for the, you know, the outlook for the industry as a whole? Yeah, so so it's it's been going through a difficult time for decades, right? And, and we've seen it particularly acutely over the last 18, 24 months during the supply chain crisis. But we've had a, um, a systemic shortage of drivers uh, in the U.S. And, and we see that in, in other countries, like in Japan, it's almost same quantitatively, but even more significant in terms of proportion of population. So in the U.S., we're about 80,000 drivers short right now to, to serve serve needs. And the American Trucking Association is, assume, uh, is estimating that we're going to have to have 1.2 million new drivers over the next decade come into this space. So what's driving that? Part of it is e-commerce. Part of it is just the growth of the economy. Right? As we make more stuff, we need to move that stuff. And as you pointed out, 80% of, of goods are moved on trucks. So it's overall kind of progress, but certainly fueled by, by consumers' expectation of, of rapid delivery as well. When I was um, preparing for, for the podcast, I, I look back to some of, some of my notes I've made through the years when we've, we've chatted. And I think it's, it's probably nearly, nearly 10 years since, since we first met. And Wow. I, there was, there's something that that, uh, that uh, I wrote down from one of those early meetings. You said, which is, you said, um, the only thing that matters about self-driving cars is the last zero point zero zero one of accuracy. Up until then, you have a really nice demo. Yep. Um, so, you know, we, there's lots of skepticism around the concept of autonomous driving, and that is mainly about safety. So, can you talk about how you approach that at Aurora? Self-driving is is one of these. Gee whiz technologies. It's just kind of mind-blowing. You get in a vehicle and it drives itself because it's just, it's, it's, it's a new concept. Um, but making it work on a track and doing a little demo is, is actually relatively straightforward today. Um, industrializing, like any other technology, is where, where the hard part is. And that's what we've really been, been focused on. And so for us, we didn't want to just have some kind of demo where that we could, you know, put on the freeway, hope it works, and, you know, get some press. We really wanted to have a safe deployable product. And so we've thought about how do we do this in a way that is holistic. And so we've developed what we call a safety case. And this is really, you can think of it as a, a way of thinking from the technology through the company, how do we convince ourselves that we're operating in a way that will result in safety? And it has really five pillars. So the first is that it is proficient. So you'd expect that when the truck is on the road, that it drives well when everything's working. But then it also has to be fail safe because the one thing you know is at some point something's going to break um, despite how well you engineer it. And so in that situation, you can't just throw up your arms and hope. You have to actually have a plan on how you mitigate that and result in a, continue to result in a safe outcome. Uh, we need to be continuously improving. So as we look at our processes, as we look at our technology, we learn from you know, the lessons of the past and we incorporate that into how we develop and, and deliver the product going forward. We need to be resilient. So if someone, you know, uh, attacks us with a cyber attack or misuses the technology in some way that that doesn't kind of cause a brittle response. Uh, and then finally, that we need to be trustworthy. Again, because if I tell you all the other stuff and you can't trust me, 
then it doesn't really matter. And, and that involves the way we have a just culture internally where we encourage people to speak up if they see something they're concerned about, and that we, we respond to that in a way that is appropriate, that we engage with regulators and policymakers to educate them. And so we've been tracking the work we're doing across them. One of the things we share publicly is our progress in, in what we call closing that, which means doing all of the 460-some things that are in there uh, that, that ultimately result in us having conviction that this thing will be safe on the road. So I, I think you know, one way I may have sort of thought about Aurora in the past is having a, a sort of very methodical, prudent approach to, to autonomy. So quite different from, say, the, the move fast and break things um, philosophy that, that that was articulated for Facebook. Um, and so could you just reflect on whether you feel that's been the, the correct approach, anything you would have you would have done differently in hindsight? Yeah, I feel pretty good about it. Uh, right now, I would characterize it as the move fast and don't break things uh, <laughs> approach, right? We, you know, there's a reason why quickly is that second word in our, our uh, in our mission, right? Safely for safety first, quickly, and then broadly in scale. Um, part of what we were fortunate to have, as we found the company, was folks who had deep experience and understood just how hard this problem was. Because it, it's, as we talked about earlier, you know, it, it's mind blowing when you get a vehicle that just drives a bit. But it, it is easy to. Um, underestimate how hard it is to get from it kind of drives to I trust it with my wife and kids on the road next to it. Uh, and and so the only way you get there, you know, there, there aren't corners to cut, right, is you have to do really good engineering. You have to be methodical about it. You have to, you know, put the the hard work in to actually close, you know, the, the, the safety case. Um, and, and, and we think about, you know, where can we work incrementally smarter rather than harder, of course, all the time, but you still need to do all the work. You know, in, in the last 18 months, two years, many of the, the competitors and the startups in this area have, have either been acquired or, or run out of capital. Why have you been successful when, when lots of those around you have, have been falling down? Well, I think as one of our, fantastic capital partners. You may be better served to answer this than I am. Yeah. Uh, um, but but I think there's, I think as we talk to investors, we work hard to be transparent, um, right? Uh, we we share what we see as the, the, the immense opportunity and huge impact we can have, but we've tried to be candid about, you know, this is, this is not a, an overnight thing, right? This is not going to be, you know, three guys in a dorm room throw it at the wall and it, it turns into something ridiculous overnight. But by investing thoughtfully, by building um, consistently uh, uh, that we can build a truly transformational company. And I think our investors understand the scale of the opportunity. They they look at the, the team we've built and it's a serious team, right? I'd put the talent in, in Aurora up um, pound for pound uh, against any organization, uh, and the the strength of the partnerships that we've put in place, and the and the business model, yeah. right? And I think when folks look at that package, uh, they see they they start to see what I see, which is, you know, a company that has a huge potential in front of it, right? Nothing is foregone, of course, and we're certainly not arrogant enough to think that, 
but what we're teed up to go have a really exciting and huge impact in the world. We're delighted to be to be partners on that that capital provision journey with you. But you know, it's you've, you've raised eight hundred million dollars in a very difficult environment for raising capital. So it's it, you know it's much broader support than, yeah. than just us as this real buy-in. Is just could you just talk a bit about capital and and what's needed to get you to to the point of of being a a a, a profitable cash generative business? Yeah, and, and if you see any risks there on that front. Yeah, so as as we as you mentioned, the, this summer we raised a little over eight hundred million dollars, and it was from the kind of folks like yourselves that you just want to be part of your company, right? And and we were able to do that with a very concentrated set of large long investors, and really proud to have all of our partners along the journey with us. Uh, I think I think the, those folks when they they look at the opportunity, they see that the competitive set has mostly fallen away and that we have great technology and we're doing what we said. As we look forward, what we said at the time when we raised the capital was we, you know, we needed to raise uh, about $1.6 billion from that moment. And that then it turns out we raised about 800, so we've got a 800 million, so we've got about another 800 million we expect to have to raise to get to uh, free cash flow positive on a run rate basis. Um, do I think there's risk in that? Of course, there's risk in that, right? I, I don't, I can't see the future and what the market is, or, uh, what the markets will do. Do I think it's a very manageable risk? Yes, uh, in that you know our team is is you know frankly they're kicking butt. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I'm interested to you. You talked about the the talent density in in Aurora, and I I'm interested just to to explore that a, a bit more and you know, how. What what do you think of as as the corporate culture and and what's really important to you in 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 developing that? Yeah, so so for me, it's really been about how do we make sure that the the you know that we can have a team that really works together. Right, this is very much a team sport, and so we we've put in place a collection of values that we think emphasize that. So uh, one of the ones I you know we we talk about a lot is no jerks. Right, so in, in the Valley, this kind of mythology of, you know, you go hire the brilliant jerk, the 10X engineer. And, and for me, I'd much rather hire like the 9.5X engineer who actually works well with others, right? And that, that's a team player because, again, you just can't do this alone. We just have to have a team that works together well. We need that team to be focused. So one of our values is focus for impact. So think about what matters most. Go do that. Spend the energy on that. Um, we have a value of win together, which is this kind of broader teamwork and that we're you know, we collaborate, we engage, we push back, of course. It doesn't mean that we, we all sit around and sing Kumbaya every night, but uh, but it's about the mission and about delivering the, the product. Um, operate with integrity is one of our values. And, and this is really, again, people are going to trust us with their lives. And, yep. and, and we need to be worthy of that. And, it, and if we're not, uh, you know, you can't just kind of paint that on at the end. It has to be intrinsic to the company. Um, we want a diverse workforce, of course. We want to have that breadth of perspectives and opinions. It really matters. We have a diversity of locations, right? We're in uh, eight cities in seven states. So we're not just kind of living in the Silicon Valley bubble. We've got, you know, half our team is in Pittsburgh, for example. So we get a good per- set of perspectives. Uh, and then finally, we want folks to rise to the occasion, right? Uh, early on in the company, we actually had a value, which was be reasonable, uh, which was, again, part of this... Um, 
part of that notion, like like expect best intentions from others and, and assume positive intent kind of thing. And what we realized at some point was that what we're doing is not reasonable, uh, right? That that we're you know thinking about transforming something fundamental, and the only way to do that is to take on things that are beyond the reasonable, right? That that if you would, you know, uh, most rational people looking at this company when we found it and said, "Hey, we're going to go transform transportation," uh, you know, seven years ago, like odds are we would fail. Uh, right, and and so we had to have folks who were willing to rise to the occasion and you know take on the big challenges that we have, and and that 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 really mattered. And then you need to pay them enough that they feel like it's fair. Well, my colleague Kirsty Gibson is is just back from from visiting you in in Dallas, and actually got to to ride on on one of the trucks doing its its delivery run. And um, awesome. She, I, I, the feedback from her was that uh, that. Everybody she met absolutely lived up to to that characterization of of how the company operates. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it really it it's one of those things as as a, as a leader that makes you proud, right? As you you go out to you know I, I go uh, not as often as I'd like to go see our team down in Texas and you know our operators and you know the 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 care and thoughtfulness they put into what we do and how they you know they make things happen. It's it's amazing. And then you talk with our engineers and the the passion they have for this and you know, our lawyers, our marketing folks, right? It's, you know, people get what we're about and why it matters. What would you say is your biggest challenge from here? So when we, we've laid out a roadmap we shared publicly and those are, you know, the, the three milestones, the three major milestones we put on that was one to get to feature complete, uh, which meant all the stuff was in place. It just wasn't verified and wasn't necessarily performance enough. Uh, and we were able to complete that at the beginning of this year in Q1. The next big one was to get to Aurora Driver ready, which meant that the vehicle was safe enough that we would be comfortable having it go out on the road with nobody in it. Uh, if we had a vehicle platform that um, that had the redundancies and had the interfaces we needed to do that safely. And then finally, by the end of next year, we're, we're working to launch commercially where we've got the Aurora Driver on a truck out on the road. And so when I think about the risks the company faces, it's... Can we actually get the technology to work in a way that's safe? Then can we deliver the technology in a way where um, it makes sense on a unit economic basis, right? That it costs us less to provide the driver than people are willing to pay for it. Uh, and then it's can we scale to a point where we're, we're having an impact in the world and we're paying, you know, we're generating more revenue than we're spending, um, right? And uh, and then finally, there's kind of this this meta risk of, can we raise the capital we need to to get to the point where we're self-sustaining? And so when I look at each of those on the technology front, the, the first one, can we make it safe enough? At this point, I'm I'm certain on that, right? And and we expect to demonstrate that at Aurora Driver Ready, and you know the team is working hard on that. The next one around kind of unit economics, well, the partnership we put in place with Continental just fundamentally enables that. If you know the hardware being able to both scale that hardware and do what they do best, which is take cost out of existing systems, right? Or among other things they do very well, um, right? That that makes me have conviction. We're going to be able to get to unit economics. So that makes sense. And then when I look at the, the impact of this will have on other companies' uh, businesses, right? The FedEx, Warner Schneiders of the world, um, you know, the demand is there. And so, you know, 
Each of those are risks. We spend a lot of time mitigating them. Um, but as I look forward, it feels like we just go execute. And so, so I guess the thing that I spend time worrying about right now is, like, how do I help our team deliver as quickly and safely as we can? Um, but, but it feels like it's one of these things where I have more conviction now than I've ever had on this is going to happen and it's going to be huge. Maybe just to, to finish off, and, and we, we, we ask all, all, of, all of our guests the same final question, um, and, it's, and it's the opposite of, of the last one, really, which is what, what does the world look like if Aurora succeeds in that mission? Yeah, a, uh, it's going to be, it's exciting, right? Because transportation is so fundamental to our society, and, and this will be one of the biggest changes in it since the internal combustion engine, right? For the last hundred years, we've been optimizing that. Uh, but we've had a person in the left seat in the U.S., you know, not so much in, in the U.K., um, you know, with a steering wheel in front of them, uh, you know, servoing that vehicle down the road. And what I can see clearly is we're going to reduce accidents, collisions on the road, and that will save in the U.S., you know, a large fraction of the 40,000 Americans that die on the road every year. Uh, that it's going to be cheaper and easier for people to bring goods to market. Uh, it's going to extend the reach of, you know, local entrepreneurs, farmers. Uh, it's going to make it dramatically easier for, for people to get around in their community. That, that owning a car is the most expensive, second most expensive purchase people make outside of their house, and at this point probably their education, so maybe third most expensive. Um, and, and so making that more accessible through transportation as a service is going to be profound. And so those are the things I can see, right? We're going to have safer, more efficient, better roads. But when you talk about changing something fundamental in, in the way the cost and the benefits of this, this technology work, transportation works, I just, my imagination is not big enough, yeah. uh, right, to see how profoundly the, the world will look different in 50 years because of that. Well, I, I agree that that's just a, a really exciting prospect and Thank you so much for, for coming along on the show today to, to talk about it. Oh, my, my pleasure, Tom. Thanks so much. So, Tom, I really loved that conversation. Chris is such a, a thoughtful person and, and leader, and it was just really inspiring listening to how they're going to tackle this, this problem. I'm interested from your perspective, though. Can you remember actually how you came across Ardora in the first instance? I think Chris's reputation preceded him. You know, I, I'd seen the headlines from the Carnegie Mellon team and, and the, 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 the Transamerica um, autonomous competitions. Um, we were big shareholders in Alphabet um, as, as, as the Waymo program was, was developing. Um, so when, um, when he decided to, to set out on his own and, and set up a company, you know, we, were, we were really interested to speak to him. And we obviously spend a lot of time talking about the importance of these founder-led companies. Um, and Chris talked a lot about culture, and he talked about the fact that they need people in Aurora that are excited about the mission. And I loved his phrase about the talent that they have. You know, pound for pound is probably as good as any other company. But what is it about Chris? Um, what, what is it that he brings to the company that you think increases the chances of success that Aurora has? Well, I think what he brings is you, you have that um, 
huge credibility from his academic background, his deep understanding of the technology. Um, but what hopefully came across from chatting to him is he's also a leader and um, somebody that people want to work for. He's got a, um, a real sense of what's right and fair and you know, a, a grown-up attitude to bringing this technology to the world. And for example, the focus on safety. Um, you know, the, the, you know it's, it's all very well having this exciting technology, but, but what's really important is industrializing it and making it safe and making it readily available. And then from that, I mean, he talked about, you know, the building a, a truly transformational company. And he also sort of talked a little bit about, you know, the sort of the competitive environment and, you know, how some other players have sort of struggled against, the, you know, the, the backdrop. You know, when you take a step back, what is it that you think is Aurora's competitive edge? Well, I think a really important one is their ability to strike up partnerships. It talks about Packard, Volvo, FedEx. Um, it's, it's how do you take this established old world industry and actually successfully deploy technology into it? What are the distribution channels? And that ability to form genuine partnerships um, with people who provide really valuable inputs um, and, and, and work with them in a, in a way that actually creates a business model for Aurora that's, that's, that's really attractive, I, I think is, is, a, is a really important differentiator. And Chris was really keen to emphasize that safety has been really at the epicenter of the Aurora, you know, business model for for a long time. And when we think about the potential threats to this this business model going forward on its route to sort of commercialization, what what do you think are the most significant risks for Aurora, and and how do you think they're placed to overcome those risks? Well, I think safety is a key one. Um, you know, if if you get big accidents with this technology. Um, the scrutiny will be so much higher than if you uh, uh, human caused accidents, and you know the the regulatory response to that you know, will be will be existential threats. So actually having a credible safety program and a, a clear approach to how you try and mitigate those those events, minimize them, um, and having public acceptance of that is is absolutely crucial. And and so I think that's that's why you hear him focus on it. And then just as a, a kind of final question, I mean, we talked a lot about, about the size of the industry. You know, trucking in the US alone was like an $800 billion industry, but I think he said it's something like four times the size of that, you know, globally. Um, you asked him the question, you know, you know, what does the world look like if they get it right? And he said his imagination, you know, wasn't big enough. But how, how do you describe the scale of the opportunity that you see ahead of you for Aurora? Well, I think that, you know, the the first part is is displacing humans, so the, there's a fee for the technology. Um, but then you know it's 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 all these secondary effects that that come from that. You know, if it's if this is much safer, isn't it irresponsible to then use a human driver? Um, you know, if if you can get far greater productivity out of it, what does it mean for asset utilization? What does it mean for the number of trucks on the road? Um, what you know that. What what does it mean for the way that supply chains work? There's there's all of these sort of follow on consequences that that come from success in this area, um, and 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 I think he's absolutely right to say that you know we don't we don't exactly know where that will take us, but it is very exciting. 
Well, I think that's a, a very um, good note um, to end on. So, Tom, thank you very much for your time. I've really loved listening to, to you and Chris today. So a huge thank you to our guests today, Chris Urmson of Aurora and Scottish Mortgage Manager Tom Slater. In the next episode, we welcome Dominic Richter, the CEO and co-founder of HelloFresh, a company whose mission he describes as changing the way people eat forever. You can listen to this podcast on all major platforms and hit follow or subscribe so you don't miss new episodes. And don't forget, season one is also available to stream and you can learn more about us at scottishmortgage.com. You've been listening to Invest in Progress. Thank you for joining us.